truth. Now, what is the condition of truth in our culture today? <laughs> um, let me ask you, are you on a search for truth in your life? The, the culture in which we live is... Well, they've kind of decided that truth is subjective. It's uh, a matter of opinion. Therefore, I can kind of decide for myself what my version of truth is. We've, we've become more about ideology and opinion and personal taste than we really are about truth. Now, let me ask you, can that mindset ever work its way into the church? No. Nah. Instead of seeking truth, we may become swayed by opinions and we may become swayed by what we read on the internet. By the way, did you know it's not all true that's on there? That may come as a shock to some of you. We may be, we may, uh, be swayed by popular theological fads or movements of the day, and uh, truth has taken a real hit in our day and age, and, and my prayer, my hope is that we are all convinced that finding the truth about things, even if it's different than what we've previously thought, is critical to knowing God and His work in our lives, His way in us. Truth always does what to us? It sets us free. So wouldn't you rather know the truth than somebody tell you something that's not true, even if the not true makes you feel better? One of the things God has showed me over and over in my life is that my truth search is never over. My truth search continues. He always has fresh new things to say to me through His Word, through my walk with Him. We must remain this pliable, changeable, open to the work of this Holy Spirit to guide us into truth. I don't care where we are on our journey, how long we've walked with Him. So my encouragement to you today is, don't listen to this message in order to decide if you agree with what is being said. Amen. That's not the goal. Listen with this ear to the Spirit of God to see what it is He may want to say to you. It may have nothing to do with what I say. Something I say may lead the Holy Spirit to work in your life in ways that, you not, that are not even expected. And then when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, truth becomes this embodiment of your beliefs. And I would encourage you to believe it if the Spirit of God speaks it into your life. It will change your life. Truth sets you free. Today we do begin this glorious chapter of chapter 8 of Romans. It's, it's kind of where the book has been leading us to. In many ways, it's kind of the pinnacle and the ex beginning of the explanation of how this spirit-filled walk with Christ is lived out on a day-to-day -day basis. In chapter 7, we saw, that it was, we saw what it was like to try and live a Christian life in my flesh. And I don't know, has anybody ever tried to live the Christian life in your flesh? Hmm. We're all somewhat acquainted with that methodology of living the Christian life. It produces frustration. It produces a lot of self-condemnation. 
It points out our failures over and over to us. And so the opening statement of Romans 8 is something that can absolutely change a person's life if they will understand it, accept it, and let the ramifications of this statement become a foundational belief in their life. That's what it's done in my life. Here it is. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we all say, Amen. I think we all ought to read it together. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, those are nice words. Do you believe those? Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It really is revolutionary. I mean, it is life-changing. There is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None. Nada. Never. So what does it mean? Well, the, the point that I would make is this. God holds nothing against you. Do you believe that? God holds nothing against you. Nothing you have ever done, ever will do, will be held against you by God. Does that mean I can leave here today and go out and sin and it's all forgiven? This is where you don't answer. I'm going to read this again. Don't answer. Does this mean I can go out and sin and it's all forgiven? Yes. Does it mean that I'm released from the threat of God's wrath on me for my bad behavior? Yes. And it's so hard for us as human beings brought up in a law-behavior-based, sin-condemning system to get our minds around that. It's very difficult because it seems so wrong. It's just not right. It's not fair. There should be a price to be paid for your wrongdoing. Just you can't go out and you're if you go out and sin, you ought not be forgiven. You ought to ugh. Timothy Keller writes this about condemnation. He says, to be not condemned is, of course, a legal term. It means to be free from any debt or penalty. No one has any charge against you. A person who is in Christ Jesus is not under any condemnation from God. This is tremendous. It means God has nothing against us. He finds no fault in us. He finds nothing in us for which to punish. Aren't you glad? <laughs> condemnation is this assignment of guilt. And that guilt requires payment. It's a legal term. Imagine, oh, let me ask you this. Imagine living in a state where there were no laws. Can you imagine that? No laws. You were free to act however you want without any fear of punishment. Would you like living in a state that has no laws? That's the right answer. However, if you were honest, you might say something like this. Well, I'm okay with it for me. 
because I won't abuse my freedom, but everybody else is going to need some laws. And some Christians today, many Christians today, do I dare say most Christians today, are just plain scared to death to live in a system of grace. You're just free. You are completely free. No more punishment for sin. No more condemnation. Christians are scared to live in that system, and for sure they don't want other people living free from the fear of punishment. That's all we got on some people. If we can't scare them into acting right, what's going to happen? Everyone free? Well, we just can't have it. Here's the thing, folks. You don't begin. You don't even start down the journey. You don't understand what it means to live and walk according to the power and life of the Holy Spirit in you until you fully get that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, living in the Spirit of Christ in you is all about being in Christ, in His life, enveloped by His spiritual presence in your life. It's not about how well you're doing and living by a set of rules that punish and reward. And we've been saying it for weeks, but it's a whole new system, this grace. It's nothing like the old one. And so many Christians today have hijacked the modus operandi of the law and tried to make it work in the context of grace. And we've kind of come up with this law-based, yeah, we're saved by grace, but you better. Saved by grace, but you... Theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones sums it up this way, this illustration. It might be helpful to you. The difference between an unbeliever sinning and a Christian sinning is the difference between a man transgressing the laws of the state and a husband who's done something he should not do in his relationship with his wife. Now, he's not breaking the law. He's wounding the heart of his wife. That's the difference. It's no longer a legal matter. It's a matter of personal relationship and love. The man does not cease to be the husband. Law does not come into the matter at all. In a sense, it's now something much worse than a legal condemnation. I would rather offend against the law of the land objectively outside of me than hurt someone whom I love from my heart. You have sinned, of course, but you've sinned against love. You may feel badly, you may even feel ashamed, but you should not feel the assignment of guilt or condemnation because to do so is to put yourself back under the law and its system. So let me ask you, how many of you here today would rather get a speeding ticket than hurt the heart of your spouse? Okay, next question. Did your spouse raise his or her hand? <laughs> I know I would. I love Cindy. I love my wife. I, 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 I don't want to hurt her. I'd much rather meet some outside legal requirement than my own, than own my own responsibility for her wounds. And okay, take it a step further. Let's just say I'm a real knucklehead. Okay, I know for some of you that's a hard place to get with me, but I, I can be. Okay, let's just say I'm a real knucklehead, and I really hurt my wife. I feel so terrible about it. 
But then what if she extends grace to me? I would like to say this is hypothetical, but not really. <laughs> it's her grace. She just lets me know how much she loves me. And there's no retribution. There's, there's no price or penance that I have to pay. She just showers me with this grace. Well, on one hand, I'm pretty grateful, aren't I? But on the other hand, what? I would feel better about myself. I would be able to live with myself better if what? There was some sort of punishment I could endure. I'll do the dishes for a month. I just, I just, I just want to... It is so hard for us to completely leave the law-based system because it makes so much more sense to us. Grace, it just isn't right. Here's the truth. No matter what you do as a Christian, you will not be able to coax condemnation out of God. No matter what you do as a Christian, you're not going to be able to coax His condemnation upon you. Because why? Therefore, there is now no condemnation. You're free. You're free. And the reason you are free is found in the following verses. Verses 2 through 4. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Praise the Lord. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but how do we walk? According to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of eternal God. And so the point is that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Praise the Lord. I could never live up to it. He knows it, and so He's just given it to me. Verse 2 starts with this little word for. It's a connecting word. It, it says that what's coming in verse 2 is an explanation of what, was coming, what came in verse 1. It's, it's this, the reason that there is no condemnation for us is because the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from it. Our good behavior hasn't set us free from it. Christ and His Spirit have set us free from it. God loves us so much, He sent His Son Jesus to take on a human body. And it says, in the likeness of ours, it resembled us in every way except it was sinless. And He who was without sin took on our sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, which He was qualified to do since He was an innocent human being. And the law's requirements then are made possible in us through what has been given to us. Through Christ's sacrifice and the gift of His Holy Spirit. There's one aspect of this that is so important. And for me personally, has made all the difference in the world when I understand the... When I am really drilled down into the doctrine of grace and no condemnation and complete freedom, complete release. And that is this, that Christ set me free from the law and ushered me into this life of grace and He has brought me into His life. In other words, I've been released from something to be joined to another. And if you don't recognize that you have been joined to another, that, that you are in Christ, you are in Him, you get a warped sense of grace. A warped sense of grace that says, I'm going to capitalize on the fact that there's no condemnation and I'm forgiven and I'm just going to go out and do whatever I want to do. No. You've been set free from the law so that you can be joined to the Holy Spirit of Christ Jesus. 
He becomes your life. He becomes the author and perfecter of your faith. He becomes your guide. He becomes your Lord. It said in, it was said in verse seven, uh, Romans 7, verse 4, a few weeks ago. Look at it. It says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Unless we understand the joining... The fruit is not going to be pouring out of our life. Do you have the capability of producing spiritual fruit? No. Does he? And so if I'm going to produce spiritual fruit, it's going to come from him. Through me. Jesus didn't wipe your sin slate clean and just leave you there. He has brought you into his life. He's given you his mind. Can Can you even get your mind around that? We have the mind of Christ, to understand the ways of God, to do His thing. We've left the dog-eat-dog punishment-reward system of the world, and we've been brought into this acceptance of love and His grace and this newness of His life. It's a Spirit-filled life. It's walking in the Spirit. So let me ask you, can you be a Christian and not walk in the Spirit? Some of you are looking at me like, is this a trick question? Can a Christian continue to walk in their own flesh and their own efforts to try to be good? Yeah, and that's the point that I would make is this. Christians choose moment by moment to either to live either in the flesh or the Spirit. It's a moment by moment journey with Jesus. This, this moment, I'm going to let him speak through me. This moment, I'm going to let him do his thing in me. Oh, now this moment, Jesus, I think I can handle this. Wrong. You ever been there? Well, that person made me mad. Jesus, I just need to, I'll come back, okay? I'm going to handle this one. This person, met, he hurt my feelings, so Jesus, we'll talk later. Mm. Right? We've been there, right? Rather than saying, Jesus, he hurt my feelings. Would you be Jesus in me? Would you love my enemies through me? You know, over the past few weeks, I've referenced Watchman Nee's book, The Normal Christian Life. I would encourage you to read it. I've, I've referenced it several times. And it's one of those books, and I've, I've read this chapter on walking in the Spirit, which is from Romans 8 in the book, and I, I keep saying to myself, I've got I to tell them that. <laughs> i got to tell them that. And so here's a healthy dose of Watchman Nee here, okay? I'll just let you know. He says this, It's a historic fact that in Christ my old man was crucified. It's a present fact that I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. But if I do not live in the Spirit, then my life may be quite a contradiction of the fact that I am in Christ, for what is true of me in Him is not expressed in me. I may recognize maybe in my head, that I am in Christ, but I may also have to face the fact that my old temper is very much in evidence. Ever been there? Living in the Spirit means that I trust the Holy Spirit to do in me what I cannot do myself. This life is completely different from the life I would naturally live of myself, which is a flesh life. Each time I am faced with a new demand from the Lord, a new calling I look to Him to do in me what He requires of me. It is not a case of trying, but of trusting. Not of struggling, but of resting in Him. 
If I have a hasty temper, impure thoughts, a quick tongue, or a critical spirit, or you fill in your own blank, right? I shall not set out with a determined effort to change myself, but reckoning myself dead to Christ, dead in Christ to these things, I shall look to the Spirit of God to produce in me the needed purity, the needed humility, the needed meekness. And this is what it means to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you, which He will work for you. I just reckon myself dead to the old me. I embrace and accept the gift of the Holy Spirit and His life and His power to meet the challenges of temptation because His life in me is fully capable. It's His life. It's not His things. It's His life. He gives an illustration. He says, once I, I once arrived in America in the home of a saved couple who requested me to pray for them. I inquired the case of their trouble. Oh, Mr. Nee. We have been in a bad way lately, they confessed. I love this. We are so easily irritated by the children. Don't you love that? We are so easily irritated by the children, and during the past few weeks, we have both lost our tempers several times a day. We are really dishonoring the Lord. Will you ask Him to give us patience? What do you think he said? That is the one thing I cannot do. What do you mean, they asked? Well, I mean that one thing is certain, I answered. And that is that God is not going to answer your prayer. At that they said in amazement, Do you mean to tell us that we've gone so far that God's not willing to hear us when we ask Him to make us patient? I said, No, I don't mean that. Uh, but I would like to answer you. I mean, I would like to ask you, if you have ever prayed in this respect before? You have. Did God answer? No. Do you know why? Because you have no need of patience. Then the eyes of the wife blazed up. I like that word. The eyes of the wife blazed up. See, her Law-based orientation is just angry. She said, what do you mean? We do not need patience. And yet we get irritated the whole day long. What do you mean? It's not patience you have need of, I answered. Text it me is back if you can hear me. Text me back Jesus. if you can hear me. He says, God will not give me humility or patience or holiness or love as separate gifts of His grace. He is not a retailer dispensing grace to us in doses, measuring out some patience to the impatient, some love to the unloving, some meekness to the proud in quantities that we take and work on as kind of capital. He has given only one gift to meet all of our needs, and that is the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And as I look to Him to live out His life in me, He will be humility in me. He will be patience in me. He will be love in me and everything else I need. And so my point is this. Don't pray for more. And I think you're very capable of filling in your blank, right? What is it that you're asking? Is it patience? Is it comfort? Is it healing? Is it power? Is it strength? No, Jesus in you. Is already that. 
And so it's not like He transfers to you these things. He becomes those things. He is those things. He exhibits those things in us. And so when I find myself impatient, I don't say, Lord, I need more patience. Now, I say, Lord, you are patient. I need you. I need the power of your Spirit's presence in me handling this situation. That person hurt my feelings. Lord, I need you to live in my life in such a way that I may be able to love that person. How many of us have spent time in our lives praying for more something that God would transfer to us so that we would be successful in our Christian journey? Just that prayer reveals our theology that we want God to help us be better instead of the theology that I can't do any of this. And I need Jesus. I need Him to be patient. He says it's a blessed thing to discover the difference between Christian graces and Jesus. To know the difference between meekness and Christ, between patience and Christ, between love and Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The common conception of sanctification is that every item of life should be holy. But that's not holiness, that's the fruit of holiness. Holiness is who? <laughs> it's Christ. It's the Lord Jesus being made over to us to be that. So you can put in anything there. Love, humility, power, self-control. Today you might need patience. He is your patience. Tomorrow you may need purity. He is your purity. He is the answer. He, the person of Christ in His Holy Spirit in you, is the answer to every need. And so I ask, what is your need today? You may... You may frame it in certain situations or behaviors, or, but your need is Him. We so easily fall into these traps of thinking answers can be found outside of Him or dispensed from Him. Maybe this book I read, it'll, it'll solve my problems, or even a passage of Scripture, it'll solve my problems, or this counselor, or if I just start a new habit... Jesus is in you. Jesus in you is the answer. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and His his complete provision for your life, it's not just forgiveness, it's not just eternity, it's not just heaven. His complete provision for your life. You can meet Him today. When I pray, you can just pray that you acknowledge you need Him. You believe in Him. You trust in Him for your salvation. You receive this new life that He has for you. His grace, His love will overwhelm the sin of your past and He will take this inner man that is bent on sin and He will remove it and exchange it for His very Spirit of God. It's a very simple presentation of us to Him. And maybe you're a Christian here today and you're caught in sinful ways and you keep asking Jesus to give you strength to be better and It's not working. And you keep asking Jesus, heal me. Strengthen me. We all tend to go with this. We want fixes to our problems instead of wanting Him. I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, as we close this service, I am praying that Your Spirit would so 
work in people's lives and work in my life. Make us pliable, receptive to the work that you have to do in us. And those areas where we have gotten this backwards, where we thought that you were here to help us be somebody, be something. No, Father, if we're just, if we're understanding that my life is not about me, my life is hidden in you, that you are my source, that you're my life, you're my Lord, you're my guide. And I need your spirit to continually pour into my life truth that I may think your way, that I, my mind may be in tune with your mind, that I may be able to understand and know the will of God for my life. Go ahead, Chris. All of these things, Father God, I come to you today and I, I just want to know the reality of you and your spirit, power, presence, life in me. Father, I pray for the person that may be here that has not come to faith in you and they're contemplating their life right now and they're thinking whether or not they should trust in you. Oh, I pray, Father, for that saving grace to come into their life, that saving faith that will come into their life that says, I believe that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is the answer to my need, that Jesus is my forgiveness, Jesus is my love, Jesus is my future. I pray that they would take that step, believe on you, believe on your sacrifice of the cross and the empty tomb that you rose from. They believe in you that they're willing to put their life in your hands, Father, that they may be saved, delivered, and rescued from the old patterns, the old ways that come into this walk, this journey with the power and presence of your Spirit. Oh, I thank you, Father. I thank you for this amazing grace. I thank you, Father, for the beauty of your Holy Spirit living in moving constantly in our lives as we we praise you we praise you in the name of Jesus amen I just think we have a lot of reason to celebrate today do you we just have so much to celebrate I mean just think about it we are completely and forever free from all condemnation amen God holds nothing against us he's given us his Holy Spirit to do in us what we're not able to do ourselves every moment of this life we can choose to live in the power and presence of Christ and so I ask you who is it that breaks the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger who brings chaos our chaos back into order I love this phrase who makes the orphan a son or daughter (laughs) it's the king it's the king of glory it's the king above all kings And then it says, and this is what? Amazing grace. And he would take my place. And he would bear my cross. And he would lay down his life. That I could be set free. Jesus, sing for all that you've done for me. Amen. Let's stand. Let's praise the Lord.